Jesus says here in John, the reason we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life is because what we are in communion with is the risen Jesus. Because we abide in the risen Jesus, he who is the resurrection and the life, we have eternal life. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am thrilled to have on our show Father Thomas Weinandy, a Capuchin Franciscan friar uh, who has uh, taught uh, theology uh, at, at Oxford at uh, Greyfriars, who uh, served the uh, USCCB, the uh, U.S. Catholic Bishops Conference, uh, as a theological advisor uh, for almost a decade. And, um, and who has written uh, just so many books. And I think for uh, so many of us who were studying theology in, in the 90s uh, and, and following, uh, was really one of those just wonderful theologians who, who remained faithful uh, to the tradition, to scripture, uh, to the church. And one of the beautiful things, uh, for those who may not be familiar, is that Father Wine, I think, has had this incredible love of both systematic theology and biblical theology, who has really never allowed this divorce to happen. And so uh, one of the things that uh, he's done recently is he's written a three-volume series on Jesus becoming Jesus, uh, one volume on, on the Synoptic Gospels, and two whole volumes on the Gospel of John. These are all uh, published uh, by uh, CUA Press, uh, for those who are interested. Uh, but you really wanted to uh, welcome you to the show, Father. No, thank you. It's an honor to... To be with you today. Yes, yes. Great. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, we're doing a series of uh, podcast episodes on trying on the Holy Eucharist, right? Uh Uh, As part of the bishop's calling for us to have a Eucharistic revival. So to deepen our understanding of and our devotion to, right, really Christ present in the Holy Eucharist. And Mm -hmm. uh, you've written a whole two uh, books on the Gospel of John. And I think when a lot of people think about the Eucharist, Right, if they think a little bit about it, uh, their minds often go, well, John 6 is important, right? Mm-hmm, they know something mm-hmm. maybe about John 6. Mm-hmm. I think we read it as part of the lectionary every third year during the summer mm-hmm. uh, and occasionally other times. But so, you know, I, I just, could you maybe just say a word or two? What is, you know, what is, why is John 6 so kind of important in the Catholic imagination for our understanding of the Eucharist? Right. Well, I think um, what makes John 6 unique is is that in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the Last Supper where Jesus institutes the Eucharist. He says, this is my body which will be given up for you. This is the cup of my blood which will be poured out for you. Do this in memory of me. Uh, And in so doing, Jesus is really giving us the means to understand what's happening in his crucifixion and death, that he's offering up his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, and having done so, uh, he will rise from the dead. And so the Eucharist is very much seen in relationship to the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, John's Gospel does not have the Last Supper. Well, it has the Last Supper, but it doesn't have 
the institutional narrative of, mm-hmm. of the Eucharist. But I think John, as he does so often in his uh, gospel, is giving us a theological interpretation of some of the events that take place in the synoptic gospels. Mm-hmm. So John is offering, I think, through the words of Jesus in chapter 6, the fuller or deeper or making sure we fully understand uh, what is happening when we celebrate the uh, the Eucharist, the Mass, um, and what the fuller meaning of the Eucharist itself is. And so in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus in chapter 6 says, you know, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Now, in saying that he is the bread of life, I am the bread of life, this is one of the seven, what are known as one of the seven I am saints, ego a me, I am, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. He, we also, I am the light of the world, ego me, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. So we have these seven I am, am saints, uh, but by Jesus saying, I am, he's referring to the fact that he who is truly God. When Moses asked uh, God what his name was in the desert, uh, he says, you know, I am who am. I am the one who is. And so Jesus here in the I am saying is appropriating the name of Yahweh, God. Uh, so he's saying, I am, ego me, the bread of life uh, that's come down from heaven. Now, there's various coming downs from heaven. The first coming down from heaven is the incarnation. Uh, in the incarnation, the Son of God, the Word of God, comes down from heaven and becomes flesh. He takes on our humanity. And so, as he comes down as the bread of life in the incarnation, that he might nourish us and feed us with his word, that he might nourish us and feed us with his salvific worth of death on the cross and the resurrection. Uh, but this is the, the foundational coming down, the incarnational becoming coming down is the coming down from heaven. He who is, who exists with, with the Father from all eternity, he's the one who comes down in the incarnation. But having come down from heaven as the bread of life in the incarnation then, uh, he also is able then to become the bread of life in the Eucharist. Yeah, so, you know, say a little bit more about that. I love the fact that you relate when he says, right, I am the bread of life who comes down from heaven, that, right, that sense of like, I am. Uh, and I, I, it is, it's interesting, I know in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the exact same words. In Greek, it's the ego and me, I am. And it's the, that's the same uh, w- verbal Greek formulation that shows up in Exodus, right? Ego and me. It shows up again, by the way, in Isaiah at a handful of places, right? I am. Uh, and so, right, this is this kind of divine name. And it's interesting, too, if you think about, say, the prophets just for a moment, um, Isaiah is awesome. Moses is awesome, right? All, I mean, we have, we have wonderful, great, uh, Elijah is an amazing, but they don't say things like, right, I am, 
the door, right? I am the gate to heaven. I am yeah. the bread of life. Jesus really is doing something new mm. um, in, in that very element. And to identify himself as the bread of life is it's, it's, it's taking up in a way the entire kind of prophetic and tradition of Israel, but somehow kind of not collapsing it, but it's saying he is both the prophets who have like who are down here, but he's also the God who is up there. Mm -hmm. uh, and just in, so in that little uh, expression, I, I love the way you kind of draw that together, that I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven, drawing together in a way his divine nature and his human nature in the incarnation. A and yet he's not merely just the incarnation, right? He's the incarnation come to us as the bread of life. Mm -hmm. And right, bread is that, right? We pray in the Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Can you say more about how right th that this transition in a way to like a eucharistic understanding and how jesus in john 6 is helping us and mm -hmm. in the way john is telling the story is helping mm -hmm. us to understand better you know the the reality of the eucharist okay uh before before i do that we were saying before within your words that you know, Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life. Uh, I am the gate, yeah. uh, you know. And what's important here is in is place specifically like when Jesus, I am the gate to the sheepfold, or I am the gate to the, to the pasture, uh, or I'm the door. Normally we think of a door as something you walk through mm -hmm. to get to from one room to another, all right? But when Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate, you don't walk through Jesus to get to somewhere else, all right? Yes. Jesus mm -hmm. is the entrance to the Father. Mm -hmm. To abide in Jesus to the door, you have entrance to the heavenly reality. You have entrance into the Father himself. Uh, he, it's not something you, you sort of walk through to get to somewhere else. He is the gate himself. He is the door. And by abiding in him, abiding in him, you come into the presence of the Father. And that's very relevant then for when Jesus says, I am the bread of life in the Eucharistic, Eucharistic sense. You know, he says, you know, I am the bread of life and you know, if you abide in me and I abide in you, if you eat my body, drink my blood, you will have eternal life. But the eternal life is, again, not something separated from Jesus himself. He is yes, eternal yes. life. Uh, and so it's, it's a, by abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in us that we have eternal life. Now, the question is, why is why is that the case? Um, there's a twofold, I think, interconnected reason for this. But in order to understand the twofold interconnected reason for this, you have to put it in the context again of Jesus's death and resurrection on the cross. The Son of God offers up his humanity as the perfect sacrifice to the Father for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the 
perfect high priest because he's the Son of God incarnate. And similarly, he's the perfect victim, the perfect sacrifice, for he is the all-holy Son of God who's offering us all-holy humanity to the Father that our sins might be forgiven. All the unloving deeds that we commit in our sins are canceled out by the one perfect sacrifice, the one perfect act of love to the Father that cleanses us, wipes out, reconciles us to the Father for this forgiveness of our sins. And then, because the Father is so pleased with his holy and innocent Son, offering his holy and innocent humanity to him for the forgiveness of sins, he merits, in a sense, the effect of his own sacrifice. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who the Father raises from the dead because he has offered, in a sense, he's merited the effects of the saving sacrifice that he offered on the cross. Yeah, so within so partly what you're reminding us here was when he's talking about right. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, right, um, I will abide in you and you will abide in me, and that will be eternal life because it's not just the earthly life that Jesus has, but by his total conformity in love on the cross with the accepted suffering, as you put it, he merits. What we could never do, he does, and he then is risen. He's raised from the dead. He is risen, and there he is beginning. He then now has the eternal life that Mm -hmm. we need, not just the eternal life of divinity, but the eternal life of a human nature raised unto God. Mm -hmm. And so you're then, in a way, helping us to see that the Eucharist that Jesus is talking about the Eucharist in a way, eating his flesh and drinking his blood is not only right. His earthly flesh and blood, Mm. but it's really his resurrected flesh and blood. Is that true? Yes, that's, that's, yes, that's exactly true. You have, you, you, they go, they go together. It's Mm -hmm. the, it's the risen given up body on the cross that we received. Mm -hmm. And it's the risen poured out blood on the cross that we drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the sacrifice is is uh, united to the resurrection. The b- body and blood that was offered on the cross is now the risen body and blood that we receive in the Eucharist. We receive the risen humanity of, of Jesus. Uh, and the obvious reason for that is because that's in the manner in which Jesus now truly exists. He, he exists as the risen incarnate Son of God, and it's the risen incarnate Son of God that that we partake of in the Eucharist. And it, it's interesting here, uh, um, the relationship between baptism and, and the Eucharist. I think it's kind of important to see the relationship to them because, you know, we only say those who are baptized can receive the Eucharist. Uh, when I was writing my book, uh, Jesus Becoming Jesus, A Theological Introduction to the Gospel of John, uh, obviously one of the first things I wrote about was the wedding feast at Cana. Mm. And this is it is the first miracle 
that Jesus does in John's gospel. And so Mary asks him, they're out of wine, okay. And uh, he have these water jars filled with water. And he says to take some of this water to the steward, all right? And when the steward drinks it, it's wine. So my question was immediately, well, not immediately, but I thought, this is strange. When does the miracle take place? Hmm. You know, what Jesus gives to the servant is water. What the servant gives to the steward is wine, all right? Now, obviously, the abundance of water is a baptismal sacramental image, huh? The abundance of new life, the abundance of water, uh, all all is the image of baptism, where we're cleansed of sin, given new life, washed clean, uh, receive the new life of the Holy Spirit. So we start out with that imagery, but then when we get to the steward, the servant having walked from Jesus to the steward, what the steward drinks is wine. And all of a sudden, the imagery switches from baptismal imagery to Eucharistic imagery. And and so it struck me what Jesus in this miracle is doing is showing the intrinsic relationship between baptism and the Eucharist. That wow, that's ba- so beautiful. Baptism mm-hmm. finds its fulfillment in receiving the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. We're baptized into the body of Christ— and become members of his mystical body. But in so being baptized into the body of Christ, we now have the privilege to receive Jesus in the fullness of his Eucharistic presence in the Eucharist. And and so they're tied together. Until you receive the Eucharist, you really haven't fulfilled your baptism. I mean, this is one of the reasons why the Orthodox immediately upon baptism, you know, they baptize the child, they sign them with chrism, and then immediately give the infant a little spoonful of the precious blood. Uh, the imagery here of John's Jesus's miracle of Cana is much more made present in that understanding, you know. But, but you know, it would be the same, you know, within, within our Roman Catholic tradition, that you know, the infants are baptized, but their baptism is completed when on their first communion communion day. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's I think it's a marvelous imagery. Uh, no, that's so beautiful. And 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 for you know listeners who, uh, just as a reminder, the wedding at Cana is in John two, uh, and then the story about Nicodemus and being born again by Lord, water and the spirit is John three. three yep, and yep. then the bread of life discourse that we've been talking about it is John, John six. six. So that's, that, that's right. It's a beautiful way of introduce of seeing how that wedding at Cana story, right? Sets up both John three on baptism and John six on the Eucharist. And it, it culminates on the cross when Jesus's uh, side mm-hmm. is pierced, what comes forth water and blood. It's from the open side of Christ on the cross that the church is born of baptism and the Eucharist. So the sort of one of the, the first act of what Jesus does in the wedding feast of Canaan actually finds its fulfillment mm-hmm. 
in Jesus's death on on the cross. Does that mean that there's a is there a wedding? Is there a wedding well, on the cross? Well, well yes, there is. Uh, Jesus and Mary becomes the church. Mary between beneath the cross in John's gospel symbol. She's the ecclesial woman. He never calls her. I don't think he calls her mother even. Yeah. Um, but he never calls her Mary. She's always woman. She's the ecclesial woman, the new Eve, mm-hmm. uh, born of the new Adam, Jesus. Uh, and she's the mother of all the living mm-hmm. because she's the, she's the mother of all the living because on the cross, Jesus pours out upon her the blood and water that creates her into the living icon of the church. Wow, that's uh, uh, so beautiful. Let's uh, let's take a moment and uh, we'll come back and let's let's dive back into John six and maybe consider a couple ways that people might misunderstand it or questions that people might have. All right. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the show. And today, uh, we're so happy to have Father Thomas Wynandy, Capuchin Friar, uh, Franciscan Friar, uh, and uh, really uh, just a, a wonderful uh, theologian and biblical scholar who has written and taught so much uh, over the years. And we've been discussing, uh, especially John 6 and the Eucharist. Uh, uh, so maybe just to begin with, uh, what would you say to people who say that, you know, that this is, yes, Jesus says a lot of beautiful things here, but he's really speaking as a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. When he says that this is, you know, my my bread, that Right, this is just metaphorical, and uh, and and even, of course, as uh, sometimes I think, you know, non-Catholic Protestant Christians that are maybe even you know really trying to understand what Jesus is teaching find this uh, expression John six sixty three, right, this verse that it is the Spirit that gives life; the flesh is of no avail. So, seems that Jesus says that the flesh is of no avail, and why not think that he's speaking right metaphorically uh, when he talks in John six? Okay. Uh, Michael, before I answer those questions, yeah, uh, I'd like to make uh, in light of what you, how you introduced me on this second round, as a biblical scholar, I'm not a biblical scholar. Uh, I'm 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 a trained historical systematic theologian, uh, and so most of my work uh, over the past. 30, 40 years, has been on theological, doctrinal, philosophical issues. Um, But 50 years ago or more, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, charismatic renewal. And one of the things that happened when I was baptized in the Spirit, primarily Jesus became alive for me, truly alive, and he's always remained alive for me ever since then. Uh, But the other effect that has been lasting is the Lord gave me a great love for Scripture. And I think now that I'm coming towards the end of my life, 
the, the love for Scripture has now come to fruition. And, and that's why I've written, wrote the three volumes, in a sense, Jesus Becoming Jesus, one on the Synoptic Gospels and two are John, was because of the great love for, for Scripture that, that Jesus has, had given me. And, and so um, despite the fact that other than normal training in Scripture to, for ordination, you know, I have no advanced degree in Scripture whatsoever. Nonetheless, nonetheless, because of my love for Scripture, I think the Lord has blessed the, the volumes that I've written on the Synoptics and John. But yeah. the point— And, just, and if, if I may, uh, sure. just to say, too, that, like, you know, Dave Verbum, uh, uh, one of the documents on divine revelation from Vatican II, right, speaks that Scripture should be the soul of theology. And so That's I also right. think it's so beautiful yeah. and— Right. If we, you, we've spent our life studying theology, which is really um, right, you know, God is revealed in Jesus Christ is communicated through Scripture and through the theolo- theological tradition mm-hmm. and conciliar creeds and the tradition of the church. Uh, right. How beautiful, in a way, for a theologian to well, yes. take up that. What do we do? It's like, what did Aquinas do after he had done all his other theology? He wrote commentaries on scripture. Yeah, well, that was his you prime, that's That was his job. That was his primary job. Yeah, you know, so. writing the Summa was extracurricular. Yes. But anyway. So I just love the fact that you've actually kind of done that as a theologian, <laughs> yeah, come yeah, back yeah, to yeah. reading and teaching scripture. Yeah. So, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, in, in, in your questions now, I think. Uh, you know, Jesus says in John 6, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus here is very adamant that we need to actually consume his flesh and actually drink his blood. Uh, And we need to be actually, in a sense, consume Jesus himself. In the other I am sayings, you know, Jesus says, I am the door, but he doesn't change himself into an actual door. He is a door in the sense you have to abide in him to enter into the promised land, into the presence of the Father. But here in this I am saying, he is saying, I am the bread of life, and I am the bread of life because my very self, who I am, who I am in my flesh and my blood, I am the bread of life. And unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will not have life in you. But if you do eat my body and drink my blood, you will live forever because you will. I will abide in you and you will abide in me. So we have a difference here be in a way since uh, some of the other I am sayings uh, it's but for example but Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life again 
but we have to abide in Jesus, the risen Jesus, in order for him to be our resurrection and the life. And that fits in very well with what what Jesus says here in John. Uh, The reason we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life is because what we are in communion with is the risen Jesus. It's the risen body and blood of Jesus, the risen given up body that we consume. It's the risen poured out blood that we drink. It's the risen Jesus that we come in communion with in the Eucharist. And because we abide in the risen Jesus, he who is the resurrection and the life, that we have eternal life. And so it's, it's, we, there's a literalness here that is unique to, to this I am saying. And when he says, you know, he's very, again, very adamant about, and this is what, why people found it so hard to believe. And this is a hard saying, and what it went away. And, but Jesus says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. Not that came down from heaven that your father Satan died. He who eats this bread, what is this bread? His flesh and his blood. They will live forever. Okay, so it's it's there's something something uh, entirely unique in this when Jesus says, you know, you must eat my body and drink my blood in order to have life, because yes. his risen body and blood is life giving. Yeah, that's uh, anyway. That's that's so well put, right? It's you, you you see, it's it's not just one image that shows up. I am the bread of life, and then he moves on. It's then he says, because I'm the bread of life, if you right, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then he repeats it and he repeats it. And really, this is the way that we enter into the resurrection. This is the way that we enter into communion. In a way, this is the way we go through the door. This is the way that we yes. become branches on the vine. That's right. right? That's um, right. This is the way that yes. Christ yes. abides in us. So, And it's a by abiding yeah. in Jesus yeah. that he becomes the light of the world mm-hmm. is by abiding in Jesus that he becomes the shepherd that leads us into eternal life. Um, yeah, so what about then, uh, John six sixty three? the spirit gives life and the flesh is of no avail. How would we well, understand that? I think um, that when John uses the word, Jesus uses the word flesh there, I think he's also he's talking about the flesh that we receive when we are born is of no value. Wow. It's sort yeah. of it's mm-hmm. sort of what like what he told Nicodemus, you know, how do I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you know, flesh begets flesh, spirit begets spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. Unless you're baptized, you cannot enter by water and the spirit, you cannot mm-hmm. enter into the kingdom of God. Similarly, this goes back, to, in a sense, to uh, the um, wedding feast of Cana. You know, we are baptized into Jesus. Our old nature that we inherited from Adam is put to death, to sort of use Pauline imagery, but it's similar to Jesus. You know, flesh begets flesh. Death begets death, all right? But when we're baptized by water and the Spirit, we can enter the kingdom of heaven because we become a new creation in Christ. We dwell now yes, in him. Yes. All right? And so now what was the flesh that was of no avail has now become life because 
uh, because now it's the Spirit that gives life in the transforming us into a new creation by baptizing us into the into the risen Jesus. And again, that, that finds its fulfillment. Again, having been baptized into the kingdom of God, have, Jesus is the kingdom of God. He embodies the kingdom. The kingdom is not some geographical area outside of him. Yes. He, he is the kingdom. He, to abide in the kingdom is to abide in Jesus. And so similarly, you know, we fully, more fully abide in Jesus in the Eucharist when he gives us his very self, his complete humanity, risen body, risen blood, the whole of him, and his divinity. It's the divine Son of God who gives us his risen humanity, and by being in communion with the risen humanity of Jesus, we're in, in communion with the risen humanity of the very Son of God. And so we have eternal life for both being abiding in the risen Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is e eternal and has eternal life uh, from all eternity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's marvelous, really, that, that, you know, Jesus has done this. You know, his death and resurrection would mean nothing if it wasn't for the sacraments. The death and resurrection for Jesus was for the purpose of the sacraments. I'll well, say more. Okay. Say more. Uh, but, you know, we had to be in communion with Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, how do we get, if we don't, aren't in communion with the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're not saved. I mean, he saved us, but we got to be in communion with it if we are saved. You know, there were, you know, maybe 30 people beneath the cross. The only person who may, who may have been affected by that event was Mary, John, Mary Magdalene, and the women, maybe. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but it's through the sacrament. Jesus died and rose from the dead for the sake of the sacraments because it's in baptism we're united to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in the Eucharist that we come into full communion with him. If it wasn't for the sacraments, the cross would have no efficacious effect upon our salvation. And so it's important that we uh, see this. Now, I had something else, but I can't remember. May I make one observation? Yeah. I, I love when it talks about in uh, John 6, 63, right? The spirit gives life, the flesh is of no avail. Well, so just before he said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. Uh, and unless you eat my, you know, like you will have, you, if, if you do not eat my flesh, and blood, you will not have eternal life. Yeah. So there he says that flesh is everything. Uh -huh. His flesh is everything. And then just a little bit later, he says the flesh is of no avail. Well, we have that same pattern right in the beginning of John. In John uh, 1, uh, verses 12 and 13, he talks about kind of all who believe in his name. He gave them power to become children of God, God, born not of flesh, flesh not of the will of the God. flesh, not of the flesh of uh -huh. man, but born of God. Right. Very and good. then in the next line, uh, 114, verse 14, it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So right there we have the flesh is of no avail for being born of God. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And then we have the beauty that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right. So the flesh as our natural flesh of our natural lives, where we are somewhat born into mm -hmm. death mm -hmm. and that natural flesh will die. Mm -hmm. The flesh, when it's united to the word of God, becomes the saving principle. So that's, the that's same right. 
the same pattern we see in the yes, in yes. the incarnation is the same pattern we see here. And yeah. um, by the way, I'd also just loved as you talk about the sense of the spirit giving life. You said something beautiful uh, in a talk I heard recently uh, that you gave, where you talked about how Jesus on the cross gives up his breath, uh, and that uh, that's and then and then what does he do? It and then the next thing he does is he breathes the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, be, begin before you. Okay, I, I'll, I'll that, hold on to that. No right, worries. Hold on to that. You know, sometimes um, uh, non-Catholics or, you know, Protestants right, want to say, you know, this is just what Jesus says, eat my flesh, is, is symbolic, okay? And so uh, we're, uh, you know, and so what we, when we, in Protestant services, we eat signs of Jesus, but not the real reality. Now, when I, you know, think about that, you know, let's say that, the Protestant interpretation is correct, okay? But wouldn't it be great if the Catholic tradition was correct? <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be much nicer and better and greater that we not as ate and drank a symbol, but we actually ate and drank the reality? I mean, uh, you know, so, you know, you know, I think the, the Catholic interpretation uh, is even if it was wrong, it sure would be great if we really did have living communion with Jesus through the Eucharist. Of course, it's correct as Catholics. We ask, we do believe that what Jesus says should be taken as the Catholics interpret it, uh, and so uh, it, it is the is the the most marvelous gift that yeah. Jesus has given to us. You know. All right. So um, yes. On the cross, uh, in John's gospel, uh, Jesus says, you know, he thirsts. Well, what does he thirst for? He thirsts for salvation. And he says at the end, it's finished. The work that the Father has given to him to do is finished on the cross. But it's not just the work of the cross that where things are finished, but in the resurrection as well. John, as yes, scholars yes. note, Yuzu says that Jesus breathed out his spirit. And usually there's a footquote in your Bible, so this is not a usual way of expressing death in the ancient world, you know. But what John sees here is the last breath of Jesus. The last breath of Jesus is Jesus offering up his life to the Father. He's breathing out his spirit, his life, the whole who he is to the Father in love. But simultaneous to that, because it's the final breath of offering his eternal life to the Father out of love, it is equally the first breath of pouring out the Holy Spirit of the resurrection upon the world. Uh, and so he's, breathing, he's simultaneously breathing out his life to the Father in love and simultaneously breathing out his spirit, is, is the new life upon the church, which is symbolized in Mary. Mary, you know, on one hand, he's pouring, he's breathing out his life to the Father in love as a sacrifice, but he's also breathing out his life, the new life of his resurrection, onto Mary and John, who are symbols of the church. And, and so it's both the last breath of his earthly life and the first breath of his risen life. And then when he appears uh, to the apostles in the upper room, room right, yeah. he then breathes, he, right. he's 
breathes on them the holy breath, yes, which yes. is that same breath that that's he right. That is so, um, yes, it's and that's why then it gives the, the the apostles the forgiveness of their sins and the ability to yeah, forgive right. the sins of others. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's uh, wonderful, Father. Just as we're beginning to you know get uh, close to the end of our show, I wanted to ask you uh, three questions. All right. Uh, so, what's a book you're reading? The book I'm reading. A book. What's any book you're reading? A book I'm reading, gee, many cranberries. Or one you've read recently. Uh, uh, see, the problem when you write books, you, you sometimes don't read books. What's a book you're writing, maybe? <laughs> well, well, right now I'm in an inter- No, uh, uh, I, I, I just bought, which I really want to read, um, is um, uh, David Fine. Fingerberg? Yes, yes. Book on mystical liturgy. Okay. I'm really interested, in getting more interested, again, because of sacramentality, the liturgy. And I, I know David, and he's a great, he's a Jewish convert to Catholicism, and he has a great love for the, for the Eucharist. So I went, I went to read, I'm giving a plug for his book. Here. Sorry, what was that again? What was the title? Uh, mystical, the mystical, mystical Liturgy. Mystical Liturgy. Well, thank you. Uh, so, and, so there. And uh, uh, just another, um, or sorry, did you want to mention no, another no. thing? Okay, another question. Um, obviously, you know, as a, a Capuchin uh, Franciscan friar, you have uh, many, many uh, spiritual practices. But what's one spiritual practice uh, that you'd be willing to share with listeners that you find uh, well, grants you meaning and yes, hope? Yes, yes. Uh, for many, many years now, uh, I've asked Mary to wrap her mantle of protection around me. Mm-hmm. And I did that for many years, not knowing that this was a common practice in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember many years ago, I walked into the cathedral in Vienna, St. Stephen's Cathedral, and on the first pillar and back on the left-hand side is a statue of Mary holding out her mantle with little people mm-hmm. underneath. Yes, yes, yes. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what I've been <laughs> doing. And, and then I found out, I went on the well, in the internet or, or other places, and the, the you know we, we ha- she's depicted as this uh, uh, many many times you know um, but and I you know I always I do that uh, at least twice a day when I get up in the morning go to bed at night uh, but all throughout the day and I encourage other people please ask Mary to wrap her mental protection around you and draw you into the very heart of Jesus you know wow, that's-, that's what she wants to do she wants to protect us in her mantle, and then sweep us with her mantle into the very heart of Jesus, her son, so that we would abide in the heart of, of Jesus. That's, that's, that's really beautifully put. Uh, and uh, last question, what's a false belief that you held about God at some point, and what was the truth you discovered? Well, I don't want to brag. But I never had a false belief about God that I can't remember because I've always been a loyal Catholic. And if you're loyal Catholic, uh, yeah. you'll never have a false belief about mm-hmm. anything. Uh, you know, uh, if you're faithful to the catechism mm-hmm. and, 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 and to the living tradition, uh, you know, but um, I don't remember ever having a a false belief. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, really, just surrendering to the uh, well, well, yes, to the I teachings mean, I, of Christ I, I, I through up, the church. I, yeah, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, grew up in a very Catholic family. I grew up in a very Catholic little small town. 
90 percent of the people were German, 80 percent of them were Catholic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I learned my catechism. Yeah. And well, what know, a gift, what a gift. Uh, I, you know, I've come to understand the catechism better, but it's the same that's great. Same catechism that said, you know, there's one God and three persons. Well, I don't comprehend that mystery, yeah. but I can, mm -hmm. I can talk about it a little bit more. Well, that's uh, so beautiful. <laughs> or the incarnation, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Father, for being on the show and for helping us just to kind of walk a little bit, wade a little bit more deeply into the beautiful teachings of really the whole, whole mystery of redemption and of mm -hmm. Christ's death and resurrection as mm -hmm. that. Uh, right as as the resur as the spirit of the resurrection uh, as communicated to us uh, through right the bread and wine of the Eucharist yeah. and uh, just such a gift for any people who might be interested in uh, reading or uh, buying some of Father Wine in these books. Uh, Jesus becoming Jesus is available uh, through uh, CUA Catholic University of America well, you Press. To, yeah, yeah, um, they publish, but you get it on Amazon. You yeah, you go yeah, to Amazon, yeah. Google my name. Yeah. One thing is if you go to uh, the CUA Press, by the way, we have a special code for listeners oh, okay. of the Catholic Theology Show, uh, CT10. So CT10, and you can get, I think, 20% off hey, um, on that. And maybe you I'll also, buy a comment. And uh, Father Wayne Andy also has two books with Sapiencia Press of Ave Maria University, one, Jesus, Essays in Christology, and a recent book on the Trinity, I believe, called Time and Eternity. Oh, it's a tr uh, yeah, tr so. the Trinity, Eternity, and Time. What does it yes, mean for yes. the Trinity to be eternal, and how does an eternal Trinity relate to time without ceasing to be eternal? And how does the Son of God become man without destroying his eternity? And we, because we live in Jesus, the risen Jesus, we live in two time zones. We live here on earth, <laughs> yeah. and we also already live with Jesus in heaven. Wow, so well put. And just again, Thomas Wynandy, W-E-I-N-A-N-D-Y. And if you want to go on to the Catholic University of America Press or Sapiencia Press, the code is Catholic, or sorry, CT10. So anyway, thank you so much, Father, for All being right, on our the show. Lord bless you, and let's hope everybody comes to love Jesus more and more. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.